From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. It's the quintessential holiday production. And for one ballerina, playing Clara in The Nutcracker is not only a dream come true, it's historic. I hope that me stepping into Clara is inspiring brown and black kids in the audience to want to start dance because we always want more diversity in any art form. It's something that I value a lot. Some young ballerinas helped me interview Colorado Ballet's first black Clara. Then his dad was known as the American St. Nick in a small town in Luxembourg during World War II. It was something to see all those people just coming out and smiling and being so happy. And of course, my dad was blown away by it. He was speechless about it. How that legacy lives on even today. Support for Colorado Public Radio comes in all shapes and sizes. You might give monthly as an Evergreen member or contribute during fund drives. Maybe you donated your car or gave a gift of stock. For all the ways you support CPR, thank you so much. Your generosity is deeply appreciated. Thank you for bringing trustworthy news and timeless music to listeners across Colorado. Explore all the ways to give at CPR.org. Click on Support CPR. This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. The holiday season is filled with many annual traditions. And for many, that tradition includes the Nutcracker. is the famed Nutcracker March, a song that's been remixed and reimagined in more ways than I can probably count. Here's one I came across on TikTok by Chase the Great. There's this one, which quite frankly surprised me, but I must admit it's pretty cool. Nutcracker March Trap Remix. Trap music being a subgenre, if you will, of hip-hop. Pretty cool reinterpretation. Well, this year, Colorado Ballet's production of the Nutcracker had a bit of a remix of its own that I must say is close to my DEI-loving heart, with one of its ballerinas starring as the first Black Clara in the Nutcracker in Colorado Ballet history. Clara, of course, is the central female character in the production. Sheridan Guerin joined the Colorado Ballet as a studio company member for the 2019-2020 season 
and was eventually promoted to the Corps de Ballet in 2022. The significance of the distinction is not lost on Sheridan, a Texas native who danced in Oklahoma and Atlanta before finding a dance home here in Colorado. I recently stopped by the ballet's headquarters located in Denver's Santa Fe Arts District with a group of young, some really young ballerinas of color in tow to take in a studio rehearsal between Sheridan and her prince, Alexander Roy. And it was every bit as magical as expected. as if Sheridan and Alexander were floating on air. It was ethereal, whimsical, and emotional all at the same time. And to see it up close and personal was extra special. Of course, I didn't leave without sitting down with Sheridan to talk about what all this means to her. And as I predicted, her backstory is absolutely fascinating. Welcome, Sheridan. Thank you for having me. <laughs> How does it feel to be a part of Colorado history? Amazing. I didn't think anything like this was possible for me, especially coming from a small town and just the background that I have. I started off as a hip-hop dancer, so it wasn't really something that I knew I wanted to do. Ballet wasn't something that I was just, I didn't start at a very young age. Usually people start around three or four, sometimes like seven, but I started at age 12, so it was quite late. I felt like I had to play catch up, but yeah, it means a lot, and I'm really blessed to be able to make history here at Colorado Ballet. Yeah, you actually stole my question. I was wondering, I was like, 12 seemed kind of late. Yeah, it, is, it was pretty late. Um, I definitely, after I started, I fell in love with it. So that's when I like fully devoted myself to ballet. But before that, it was kind of more of a recreational thing that I did after school. I also did swimming, track, cross country. So I did that along with dance, but um, after starting ballet and being in the whole like atmosphere and world of it all, I fell in love with it. You said you didn't think this was possible for you. Tell me a little bit more about that. I think that I just didn't know anything about the ballet world in general. I come from a very artsy family, but that's like in different ways. My uncle is a jazz musician. I have a bunch of singers in my family, but nothing that was like dance related. I was the kid at like weddings that would always be in the center, like trying to get everyone to dance. <laughs> I'm trying to picture you like recruiting people for like the cha-cha slide or the cupid yeah, shuffle. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was doing. Like I was in the center, like moving and grooving and everyone was like, I was pulling people out and they were following my lead. And I think I was kind of like the dance party starter in a way which I love because I love to have a good time. <laughs> you were the hype person. <laughs> yes, yeah. So <laughs> that was something that I loved and I knew I loved to move but I didn't know that ballet was something that 
was in the cards for me because I just didn't know about it. So my mom enrolled me in dance classes and I actually had a friend that inspired me to dance because she was taking classes. And I remember we would like make up dances like during rehearsal and she had like a lot of techniques that I didn't know about and I was like, wow. You doing a pirouette? How are you? What you're like calling different steps, like terminology that I have no idea what's it, what it's about or what it is, and so that made me interested in it. And so I enrolled from her like inspiring me to enroll in dance, and from there I noticed that I wasn't. I was like the only black dancer in the class, so I was like, I don't know if this is really possible for me, and it kind of felt like sometimes you can feel like you or you stand out in a way that you're not sure if it's like good or bad. Like you just have all these sometimes insecurities, but um, those I kind of like used to my strength and I kind of just took that and ran with it. Inspired me to um, do more. What are your thoughts about that in terms of the importance of diverse representation? I think it's very important. In ballet, we're always looking for minorities in dance, and it's just important for representation as well. Like, I hope that me stepping into Clara is inspiring brown and black kids in the audience to want to start dance because it's important for representation, and it's also just like we always want more, more diversity in any art form. It's something that I value a lot. What has been some of the more interesting responses and reactions to you showing up as an African-American ballerina. I think it's just like people are shocked that I am the first. Like how has it been that I'm, now we're in 2023 and I'm the first black Clara here. To be Clara, it you have to fit a physique. And so there has been like many uh, diverse people here, but do they fit the, the build for Clara? someone that looks young and can play like a little girl in a ballet. So I think that's just like something that I guess it presented itself at a good time. Everything played out and worked out in my favor, I guess. Did you dream of being in the Nutcracker when you were a child in Texas? I didn't know. I like I didn't know anything about ballet. And so the Nutcracker was something that I, I, I didn't know I loved it, um, or I didn't know there was such a like such thing as a Nutcracker. I really didn't um, until I learned about it. And then my studio at the time, they were doing Nutcracker. So I was Clara in their Nutcracker. That was my first time ever doing Clara, but it was like a smaller studio. So what does that mean to have the lead role in the quintessential holiday production of the Nutcracker? Honestly, I pinch myself. I think it's something that... I'm really thankful for and blessed that Colorado Ballet's staff has given me the opportunity to be able to step into this role and have trusted me with this role to be able to represent Colorado Ballet, represent the people in our community, and I just feel really thankful that I have the opportunity to step into a role like this. It's something that I don't take lightly. I love playing Clara. It's something that, as a kid, you always you hold on to like moments in your life and there's times where I'm like oh I'm like pulling from this moment when I'm on stage like when I was a kid and it's really special to be able to like almost like go back in time as when I was as when I was a kid. <laughs> what has it been like preparing for the role of Clara? Um, it's been good. Usually we have rehearsals and so for Clara and Prince I'll have 
an hour to a 30 minute rehearsal, maybe three or four times a week. I would have to say that like the rehearsals are something that I really value because it helps me with going on stage and being able to be confident and feel secure in that role. What do you love most about being in The Nutcracker? Ooh, I think just this, the amount of shows that we do. And like every show is completely different. So party scene is actually my favorite part of The Nutcracker because there's so many other people involved. And so we kind of just like feed off of each other's energy. So like one show we could be like super giggly and goofy and another show we could just be like doing what's routine. Um, So it's fun to like play off of everyone's energy and party scene is just like where we get the most laughs I think too. So (laughs) it gives us energy when the audience enjoys it. was me recently at the Colorado Ballet headquarters speaking with Sheridan Guerin, who is the first Black Clara in the Nutcracker in Colorado Ballet history. Trailblazing Colorado dance icon Cleo Parker Robinson says she applauds the milestone as a long-needed and long-deserved step in the right direction for Colorado's dance community, which has long been criticized for its dearth of diversity. Well, I am just thrilled. I'm so excited. Sheridan is just a beautiful dancer and extraordinary. And for her to take that role um, in such a short amount of time, going from apprentice to demi-soloist to soloist to principal in this short amount of time is magnificent. And I want to congratulate Gil for um, really having the insight and um, of, of leadership in the ballet world making this decision. And I think it's just extraordinary because it was a a few years ago that we began to work with the IBD, the International Association of Blacks, to really look at black ballerinas and place them in major ballet companies around the country. And um, so I see it manifested in this wonderful way. So even though it's taken 62 years for Colorado Ballet and sometimes longer for American Ballet Theater with Misty Copeland. It is happening, and we're in the times of change and beauty and uh, seeing it in manifested in a very, very uh, inclusive way, looking at excellence in all shades, tans and blacks and browns and all kinds of yummy colors. So I'm really thrilled, and um, I say congratulations to Sheridan for her hard work and her perseverance. And I cannot wait to see her. Trailblazing Colorado dance icon Cleo Parker Robinson, who's led her own holiday tradition for more than 30 years now, her annual production of Granny Dances to a Holiday Drum. And yes, even in her mid-70s, she still dances in the show every year. Now 
it's time for the really good part. Some young ballerinas of color here in Colorado join me at the Colorado Ballet's offices and ask Sheridan their own burning questions. Hi, Sheridan. Hi, nice to meet you guys. Hi. Hi. Are you guys excited for your Nutcracker shows? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Where are you guys going to perform? Three of us here are going to perform a production called Granny Dances to a Holiday Drum at Cleo Parker. And so we're really excited about that. That's yeah. awesome. Well, we've spoken today about the importance of diverse representation in general, but also specifically in dance and ballet. And they have some questions for you. My name is Kendall. I'm 15 years old. I will be 16 next month. I've been dancing for 12, almost 13 years. And my question has two parts to it. The first part is, how do you feel that it took 62 years for a person of color to be casted for a principal role in the Colorado Ballet performance of The Nutcracker. Oh, nice to meet you, Kendall. To your first question, I think in a way it's kind of like disappointing that it's taken this long for there to be the first brown female principal role being done, but I would say that it also is amazing because just like now that I've made history there's so many people after that can look up to and hopefully aspire to be in Colorado Ballet's company and and continue to like add new and exciting things to the role. What does this mean to you personally that you were chosen to be Clara? Well it means the world. I feel really blessed and able to dance and be a part of something and be a part of history. Every single day I kind of like think I can't believe it like it's just something that I'm shocked about. Like I talk with my mom a lot about it, just like the feelings and just I think back to my family's history and just worth ethic and like not giving up and being able to be strong in moments where you might feel like you are insecure or you feel shy. And I try to embody like the past of my family and how they have done so many historic things that even you might not even hear about because it might come from like a small town, but I think about like making them proud and especially like everyone else too. Hi, I'm Leilani Walker. I've been studying ballet since I was three. I'm nine years old. And my question is, do you feel happy that you got this role? Yes, I feel very happy. It brings me a lot of joy, especially like being able to tap into like the moments where I feel like I'm tapping into when I was a kid. And I think that just like sparks even more joy inside of me because, you know, when you get older, you kind of like forget the moments of when you were a kid. And so <laughs> Nutcracker really helps like remind me of the, the like really fun moments that I had when I was a kid. And so I kind of just tap into like my 12 or 13 year old self. Also, do you think you will accomplish like more great things in life after this? I hope so. I could only hope so. Yeah. I'm Samara Walker. I am 10 years old and I've been studying dance since I was 3. And my question is what role of support did your family, friends, or mentors play in your dance journey? They played a huge role. My mom and my dad 
supported me very much so throughout my entire like upbringing when it comes to just dance in general and all the extra things that I did around dance like track, swimming, cross country. Honestly, just trying to keep up with me, I think, with all of what I wanted to do. My mom, I remember she would drive me an hour to my studio every single day. My sister as well, I have an older sister and she helps with my confidence, especially if I'm hard on myself. She'll like bring me back to reality and be like, don't be so hard on yourself. And she often makes jokes, like just lighthearted jokes that really like take my mind off of something if I'm feeling down. So yeah, I really am grateful that that I had that support. My second question is, could you share a memorable moment or performance that stands out in your career? Yes. I think the first time that I did Clara, uh, that was I think three years ago, 2021. Yeah, so that was like something that was really memorable for me because I was that was my first time ever stepping into the role and I was really, really nervous. I have never been a lead in the Nutcracker or in a ballet in a medium-sized company or in a ballet company in general. But after the show, I was relieved and excited and really happy that it went well. I don't know, I was just really happy and I remember that first show of Clara. Hi, my name is Mission Buckley. Um, I'm 12 years old, and I've been dancing since I was three, so I've been dancing ballet for nine years. My first question is, did you or your family expect to find you in this role? No, they did not. I had zero expectations at all. I think they just, like, whenever I joined Colorado Ballet, it was kind of just, they only expect me to, like, work hard and hopefully get the roles that I want to get, but never to be in the position that I am at. Uh, but they are really proud of me for that. So what was your reaction when you found out that you got the role? Excited. <laughs> Excited, but also nervous. So I was like, oh my gosh, that means that I'm going to be like the only one on stage sometimes. <laughs> and there's just like nerves that come with being the only one on stage and everyone's looking at you. But I was also like, I thought it was really special. And at the time, I didn't know that I was the first uh, Black Clara at Colorado Ballet. I I asked around. I was like, am I the first? I had not, I didn't assume. So <laughs> I was really excited then. So thank you. Great questions, everyone. Hi, my name is Alina Rivera Archuleta Medford. I'm 12 and I've been dancing since I was three. What was your biggest struggle? For Clara? Yeah. My biggest struggle was my nerves. I had a lot of things that I wanted to bring to the role. And so I was getting overwhelmed with what I specifically wanted to stand out as, like the first Black Clara. And so I think that acting is what made me nervous because, and so I think like acting and confidence was something that I was really nervous about. And I wanted to really put my own spin on it because with all, there's five different Claras. And so we each have our own way of acting and reacting to different things. And so my reactions will, would look completely different to someone else's reactions. So I just wanted to make sure that everything came across like clearly what I wanted to deliver to the audience. I just wanted to make people laugh. So I think that acting and confidence was something that I was really nervous about and was the hardest thing for me. 
But I love how there's so many shows in the Nutcracker, and so if one show, if I feel like I didn't, I could, like, try something else, try something different the next show. I'm just curious, could you explain one or two things that you wanted to bring, that you wanted and feel like you have brought to the role? Yeah, as a kid, I think I still might be a little bit sassy. Like, (laughs) and so I wanted to, like, for instance, in the Nutcracker, when Clara thinks that she's about to get a present and then the, pre- the, the they hand the present to Fritz and so the present completely passes her up. And so there's a moment when like a lot of the Claras will be disappointed and I'm just like, oh, really? Like, so there's just different things that um, I wanted to bring. And then in the snowpaw, I am from Dallas and so it doesn't really snow a lot in Dallas. And still when it snows in Colorado, I swear, I'm like a kid at the candy store. I love when it snows. And so whenever it starts snowing on stage, I think of that like, it's actual snow. And my face just, I hope the audience can tell that it lights up because even now my face lights up. I like stand at the window in in my apartment and watch the snow fall. And so that's like another place in the ballet where I wanted that to really come across. That I've it's like I'm seeing snow for the first time and every single time I see snow it's like I've seen it for the first time. It's so magical to me. <laughs> so those are like kind of two places in the nutcracker I would say. Hi, my name is Amara and I've been dancing from two years old and I've been dancing five years now and I'm eight years old. Oh yeah. And my question is, what is something you have to work on the most? Something that I constantly am working on is my technique. When it comes to all the different steps in the Nutcracker, I am trying to improve every single thing that I work on in rehearsal. I'm trying to hopefully get better at those things and try to bring them to the stage. Did your teachers ever teach you like ballet or hip-hop? Yes, my teachers did. So I had ballet teachers, I had hip-hop teachers, modern teachers, jazz. The only technique I didn't do was tap, and I had all those teachers. Did you ever do competitions? Yes, I did. I was, I, whenever I started off as like a hip-hop dancer, I, we did competitions. And I also did YAGP, Youth American Grand Prix, which is a ballet competition. And so I did that as well. I did several competitions, which really helped me with my confidence and being able to perform in front of judges and an audience. My name is Kendall. My question, what is your advice for young girls of color that like either want to do dance or are in dance? Just enroll, start classes, even if it's just like hip hop or jazz, contemporary, start now so that you can decide whether you like it or not and then from there fully get into it and yeah and I would say just be confident and or try to be it's easier said than done I know but yeah I would say just like start start doing it now as early as you can I wish I would have started earlier or could have but it's okay (laughs) so what'd you all think of the rehearsal I found that uh, you said that you had to work on your technique. I thought that firsthand, I thought that your technique was absolutely gorgeous, and I want to be exactly 
like you when I grow up. Oh, thank you so much. That means the world. Thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Are you guys on point? I yes. Who's on point here? You're on point? I'm on point. You're on point? Do you guys wear brown shoes? I do. Awesome. This is my first year actually wearing brown shoes. It's oh. really special to me. I don't. You don't wear brown shoes? No. You'll get there. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you guys so much. Special thanks to our amazing young ballerinas, Kendall Johnson, Samara Walker, Leilani Walker, Alina Rivera Archuleta Medford, Amara Rivera Medford, and Mission Buckley for helping me interview Sheridan Guerin, the first black Clara in the Nutcracker in Colorado Ballet history. She shared the role this season with a group of fellow amazing ballerinas. back, his father was known as the American Saint Nick. We'll share in a unique family legacy. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. In Colorado and across North America, where's the best place to keep a watch on the skies? Turns out it's deep inside Cheyenne Mountain on the edge of Colorado Springs. For years, home to the North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD, officially it is the Cheyenne Mountain Complex, now an installation of the U.S. Space Force. Excavation of the cavernous bunker began in 1961. Inside, 11 multi-story buildings all sit on giant quake-dampening springs accessed by tunnels with 25-ton blast doors. For more than 50 years, crews there have monitored American and Canadian airspace for incoming missiles and other threats. And NORAD has another annual mission, tracking the movement of Santa Claus across the globe every Christmas Eve. As the motto of the command puts it, we have the watch. A Colorado postcard from Colorado Public Radio. With the support of National Jewish Health. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. It was December 1944 in Europe. A unit of battle-weary American soldiers was taking a break in the small town of Wilts in Luxembourg. Before long, somebody got an idea the Americans would host a party for the local residents. Ultimately, one of the organizers talked a puzzled young corporal named Richard Brookins into playing St. Nicholas. I did ask him at one point, what does St. Nicholas do? He said, oh, I pat the kids on the head and chuck them under the chin. So that's what I did. And smile. 
<laughs> That's Brookins in a documentary a few years ago after he went back to Wilt several times for encore performances. He died in 2018, but the tradition lives on. For almost 80 years now, the town of Wilts has held an annual festival in honor of the American St. Nick. His son, Don, lives in Broomfield. He joins me now. Don, welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Wilts had recently been liberated after four years under the Germans. The Americans had just taken around 6,000 casualties in a brutal battle nearby. It was time to lift people's moods for sure. But this all came together really fast. What did your dad wear, and what did he do as St. Nicholas? Well, he uh, got dressed up in the local priest's church vestments. He was um, about the right size. His roommate, who was a short little guy, was trying to organize a party for the kids. He looked at my dad and said, I got a job for you. And my dad says, anything I can do? And he said, well, I need a St. Nicholas. And he said, oh, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. I don't, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and uh, he said, just, you wanted to help, help us out. We got to get going on this thing. So he reluctantly agreed. And he showed up at the castle and there were a bunch of nuns there kind of giggling and starting to dress him up in the vestments. And they had a mitered hat for him and a cane or a staff and a rope beard, a very uncomfortable, very scratchy rope beard that they threw together. It wasn't a very comfortable costume, but he didn't he take him long. for the kids. Didn't take him long to start having fun with the kids. Now, I heard it was a Jewish guy who actually came up with uh, the idea. A little short Jewish guy, yeah. Wanted to have a party. In fact, it was funny because he found himself in the church talking to a priest about having a Christmas party for the kids, and he thought that was kind of a a unique situation. He didn't even know how to conduct himself in the church. But they gathered together as much candy and cookies from home and rations and put together a little party for the kids because for five years they were not allowed to have that event. And some of the kids were so young they never, never had that event. And I heard he got into a Jeep and paraded around the town yeah, he got, to a big castle. They decided they'd go supply a, a Jeep and then two little angels from the school. They dressed in white and sat on either side of him in the back of the Jeep and went to a couple of locations, schools in town, and ended up back at the castle and had a party for them. One of the strange things that happened, if I might, there's a, a raw black and white film shot by two guys from the Signal Corps who happened to be coming back from an assignment and stopped at an intersection and saw this Jeep go by with two little angels on either side of them with St. Nicholas in the back. And they looked at each other and they said, we gotta, let's go find out what this is. So 30 seconds either way, that raw footage that's on YouTube would never have occurred. So that's just amazing happenstance. Tell me a little bit about the legend of St. Nicholas and what he meant to the folks in Wilts. Well, from what I understand, where Christmas is kind of the religious day of the month, the religious event, but St. Nicholas Day is where the kids get to, to put their shoes outside the door, and, and if they've been good, they'll get little presents. Oranges and nuts and chocolate. Things like that, yeah. And then... So that was kind of what 
was the tradition, and that tradition was taken away from them. So the tradition was taken away from them while the Germans were in control of the town. Mm -hmm. They lost everything when that happened. They lost their country. They lost their language. They weren't allowed to speak Luxembourgish. They lost their street names. They lost their traditions, their celebrations, their holidays. They mm -hmm. lost their men. They were sent off to the front, uh, mostly the Eastern Front. Some of them went into hiding in the nearby Ardennes. Some of them worked in the resistance. But the town was pretty, pretty clean of men. There was just the women and the, and the children. Uh, it was devastating for them. It's something that we don't really relate to. It was a, an amazing time for, for those people as far as despair and uh, – here comes a bunch of people from another continent who came and spilled their blood for them. It, that alone was amazing for them. But then to, on top of it, have a party because <laughs> they weren't given the, that kind of courtesy by their, what would you call them, their captors. Mm. They were pretty blown away by this event. And that's what made them decide that that was going to be part of their culture from then on, the commemoration of that event, even though it was a little tiny party. Did you know growing up that your dad had played this part of the American St. Nick? I have a very vague recollection being quite young where somewhere in the house in a box or in a cabinet or something, there was a photo of my dad in the Jeep as St. Nicholas and with a little uh, caption from the AP or UPI. And it obviously made it to the local Rochester, New York newspaper. That's all I remember, that little moment when my dad kind of calmly said, yeah, I, I played Santa Claus for some kids in Luxembourg. That must have made an impression on me. It's right there and, and I can see it like it was yesterday. But that was it. From that point on. Do you on, remember being impressed? I, I don't know if I was old enough to be impressed. I just thought, oh, okay. Well, they must do that all the time. <laughs> so I never gave it another thought. But uh, And then in 1977, we're talking more than 30 years later, your dad gets a letter from Luxembourg. What did it say? Well, he received a letter by virtue of another person in his outfit having gone back there and retraced his steps and having been corralled by the locals to say, hey, come to our museum, look at this museum we've put up. And then they showed him the picture they had and they wanted him to find him. And he, okay, I'll do what I can. You know, I think the people in Luxembourg think the United States is about the same size <laughs> and everybody knows everybody. So surely you can find this guy. And he's from Pittsburgh. So he goes back to Pittsburgh and he calls a friend of his, works for the phone company. Hey, uh, there's a Richard Brookins, a Rochester, New York. Can you find him? He says, find him. I know the guy. He says, you know him? He says, yeah, he trained me at the phone company in Rochester. So it took him five minutes to call my home phone and my mom answered and they asked if, if he was the 
St. Nicholas in, in Luxembourg. She said, yeah. He said, oh, boy. Okay, you're, gonna, you're probably going to hear from somebody back there. So a letter was written and a very long letter and talking about how amazed they are that he's still around and they, they would love him to come back and play the part. And they invited him back to the zone. They did invite him back. And in fact, I had just moved to Denver six months earlier, started my new job, and I knew I didn't have any vacation time accrued. But uh, I said, I got, I got to go to Luxembourg. So there, we all went there, and uh, and it was amazing to watch. I mean, in a town of about 5,000 people, there were 10,000 people there that day. Wow. It was a big deal. And they flew him in in a helicopter and he didn't have to wear a rope beard. He wore kind of a nice soft fluffy one. <laughs> and uh, and they put him on a float so that time. a little time. upgrade to his attire. <laughs> yes. Much, much improved. And was he able to reunite with some of the folks who were in that first celebration with him? Some of the children who were there came up to him and said that they were there at the party. A few years later... In 94, he went back for the 50th anniversary, and the two angels were there. They showed up. Awesome. Yep. It's hard to describe how you're greeted in that town. They love people from America, and they'll do anything for you. But if you're a member of the St. Nicholas Entourage, boy, you, they can't do enough for you. And one of the things that's so fascinating is that most of these folks weren't even alive when the party actually happened. That is the stuff of the culture I was talking about before because right now there are very few people that were even at the event, but it's huge. And I think that they are taught this in school. They're told about it. They know about it. You know, the battles and things like that are, you know, memorials are made, but in addition to all that they were given as far as their freedom back, that party, it's amazing to them and they will never, ever forget it. They promised they never will. Wow. I wish the story had an entirely happy ending, but just a few weeks later, the Battle of the Bulge started. Wilts fell into German hands again and the Americans, trying to recapture the territory, bombed the town and really devastated it. Still, when the war was over, the people wanted to honor the American St. Nick. What do you think this all meant to your dad? Well, it, you hear a lot of stories about the most of the people that came back from the war. All they wanted to do was come, come home, uh, maybe get married, have a family, and live in peace. And they never really talked to even their offspring about it. They they preferred not to even mention it. And my dad was the same way. But when this happened, <laughs> it opened up a lot of discussion and remembrances that he had because it gave him an out. And you can't imagine what it must have been like. I can't. I mean, I, I know what my reaction was, but. Which was? There wasn't a dry eye in the house. <laughs> you know, it was uh, it was something to see all those people just coming out and and uh, and smiling and being so happy and and of course my dad was blown away by it and he could not believe how something so quick two hours long just a little party um, that they 
most of them kind of forgot about afterwards because they, <laughs> they had a lot of stuff going on after that. But they, they had a party. They thought it was fun. But the town never forgot. So, so he was – he was speechless about it and, and, and couldn't believe that they wanted him to come back again and again, which he, which he did. Well, holiday joy in the purest form. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's something that people, if you want to have a unique vacation, go back there during St. Nicholas <laughs> celebration. Well, you're definitely making me want to go. It's very, it sounds it, it's amazing. N- it's not to be missed. It's, it's hard to describe. In fact, I'd, I'd kind of like to see the place in summer sometime. <laughs> Well, you have to put that on your bucket list. Don, thank you for sharing this heartwarming story with us today. Thank you for having me. It was, it was, it was a delight. Don Brookins is retired and lives in Broomfield. His dad, Dick Brookins, was known as the American St. Nick in the tiny town of Wilts in Luxembourg. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. For many people, the holidays are an emotionally complicated time. It can be especially tough for those whose loved ones have passed away. In a season rich with traditions and memories, that person's absence often puts a damper on celebrations. That bittersweet sentiment is captured beautifully in a new song by Denver singer-songwriter Renee Moffitt. He wrote it after his father passed away in May of last year. A loving tribute not only to him, but also to their family's favorite Christmas album. My father was a huge fan of the Beach Boys, so each year we couldn't wait to play their Christmas album. Singing those songs always reminded me of Dad, and that album was a big inspiration for me as a songwriter because half of those songs were original Christmas songs that Brian Wilson and Mike Love had written. So each December, I try to write an original Christmas song of my own, in the hopes of one day releasing an album full of originals. And that all goes back to my dad's love for the Beach Boys. Here's Renee Moffitt with his latest holiday original, My First Christmas Without You. I've hung every ornament on our tree I've watched every classic holiday movie feel so familiar but there's one thing that's new it's my first Christmas without you my little girl Starting to believe Jolly old man Comes down our chimney I try to pretend But it's so hard to do And it's my first Christmas Without you My first Christmas Without you Celebrate with us tonight 
church bell ring Pray to God you get your Denver singer-songwriter Renee Moffitt remembering his dad with My First Christmas Without You. Catch him perform at the Roxy on Broadway, December 23rd. Thanks for joining us today and to the Colorado Matters family. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Andrea Dukakis. Rachel Estabrook. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers, Tom Hess, Michael Hughes, Chris Ketchum, Pedro Lumbraño, Shane Rumsey, Ryan Warner, and I'm Chandra Thomas Whitfield. This is CPR News and KRCC. Christmas without